You're listening to Thinking Within the Church with Andrew Ray Williams. Thanks so much for listening to Thinking Within the Church. This is Season 2, Episode 1. If you listened to last season, you may have realized that I have rebranded the show. I have renamed it. And the reason is because I want to begin to move beyond some of the issues that I was talking about last season that were really located in my book and talk about other issues that are really important for the church. This season, there's going to be some great content. I'm really excited. It's going to be releasing every single week. Uh, this episode, and actually the next four episodes after this, so for the first five episodes of this season, I'm going to be getting together with a friend, a colleague, an all-around great guy, a great thinker, who is going to be helping us walk through a significant book by Diedrich Bonhoeffer. And that book is called Life Together. If you don't know who Diedrich Bonhoeffer is, Diedrich Bonhoeffer was a German theologian and pastor, and he played a central role uh, in the confessing church during the Nazi period and became one of the most influential theologians of the 20th century. And uh, Joel Lawrence, actually Dr. Joel Lawrence, has a PhD from University of Cambridge where he studied Diedrich Bonhoeffer. He's written a book called Bonhoeffer, A Guide for the Perplexed, uh, it is. It, it, it was published by T&T Clark. Um, Joel is an expert on Diedrich Bonhoeffer, and I think that help, having him on for the next five episodes to walk through uh, what Diedrich Bonhoeffer can teach us about church life and community and, and how we relate with other Christians is going to be really, really rich for those who are listening. Um, but let me t- before we jump into this, let me tell you a little bit about Joel, since he's going to be with us for the next five episodes. Um, Joel is the executive director of the Center for Pastor Theologians. He previously served as a senior pastor of Central Baptist Church in St. Paul, Minnesota, and also was a professor of theology at Bethel Seminary. And like I mentioned before, he holds a PhD in systematic theology from the University of Cambridge. And I really am excited about these next couple conversations that we're going to be having about Diedrich Bonhoeffer and the whole issue of, of Christian community. And so thanks so much for being on, and let's go ahead and jump right into the conversation with Dr. Joel Lawrence. Well, Joel, welcome to the podcast, and thanks for being on. Yeah, it's great to be with you, Andrew. Thanks for inviting me to do it. Absolutely. Well, I'm excited just to jump in here on our first episode, um, talking about uh, community and life together and Dietrich Bonhoeffer. So um, as kind of a, a Bonhoeffer expert, can you give us a little introduction for those who may have not read or maybe just even heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, but don't have, you know, a full picture of who he was and what he did? Can you just kind of fill us in on that? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Bonhoeffer, he lived from 1906 till 1945. So German theologian and pastor, uh, probably best known by people for his engagement with a plot to assassinate Hitler. Um, so he had been a kind of a wonder kid theologian, got his first PhD at the age of 19, got his second PhD at the age of 22, um, was teaching at the University of Berlin and kind of creating a, a following of people around him. He spent time pastoring in Barcelona, in London, he spent a year in New York. Uh, he came to a Union Theological Seminary in New York, and there he was exposed to American Christianity, as well as he attended a church in Harlem, 
So he experienced African-American Christianity and the African-American tradition. In the 30s, as the, the Nazis were coming into power and establishing their power, uh, he early on began to see some of the real problems, some of the real, not just sociological problems or, or, or military problems, but, but theological problems of the Nazis, like that Hitler was using churchy language and he was using language about himself that would really resonate with Christians. And Bonhoeffer was, was deeply concerned about this. And so much of his career starting from the early 1930s, when Hitler comes to power, January of 1933, the tracking on from there is, is his reflections on and work against the Nazis and particularly the way that the church was being was being seduced by German nationalism, by by the Nazi ideology and kind of how the the church was mixing their vision of theology with with political ideology. So he chose um, to participate in this this plot to assassinate Hitler. He he wasn't himself like an assassin. He had, through his time living in, in England, he had connections with the British government. And so he was acting kind of as a go-between between the those who were plotting the assassination of Hitler and the Allied government. Those who were plotting the assassination of Hitler wanted the Allied government to know so that they might be recognized as those who could be the legitimate government of Germany if they were successful. Uh, and so Bonhoeffer was feeding that information about the plot back to the uh, back to the, the the British government and through that to the Allied forces. So um, so he was found out about his participation in that, arrested, and then ultimately was was put to death, hung uh, on gallows in April of 1945, just a few weeks before the war ended, and just a few weeks before the the concentration camp where he had been sent was liberated. So that's kind of a, a big a big picture overview. Hope that helps give a little bit of context to the listeners on on who he was. Absolutely. You you gave a really good uh, overview in a very short amount of time with all the happenings of his life. And something that might be helpful before we kind of get into some of the, the reasons we think it's a significant book, not just uh, for its own sake, but really can speak to the church today. But it'll be kind of helpful before we kind of get to that to find out, you know, why did Bonhoeffer write Life Together? What were the circumstances surrounding the writing of this book and how did it come to be? Uh, yeah, I think it's it's really important for us to keep this context in mind. Um, in Life Together, this book, it's not it's not like a general systematic theology where where Bonhoeffer is doing kind of general these general principles on how to be the church. He is really reflecting on a particular time and place and experience. And um, so I think it's important for us to keep this context in mind in order to, to let it be what it is on its own and then also allow it to speak to us in our time and in our place. So um, part of Bonhoeffer's story is that from 1935 to 1937, he was the head of an illegal seminary. And there's a little bit of history here around when the Nazis came to power, they were trying to 
kind of take over all areas of German society, including the church. And a group of people, a group of pastors were resisting that, and they broke off and they formed what was called the Confessing Church. And as the Confessing Church, because they were broken off from the kind of official church structures, they had to set up their own training institutions. And this seminary that Bonhoeffer led in this town called Finkenwalde was one of five of those training institutions, seminaries. Um, so he's leading this seminary over a couple of years, bringing students in for six months at a time to be uh, formed as pastors that would go out and be part of the confessing church congregations, lead those congregations. That's super helpful. Um, so you're 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 telling us that he's thinking a lot about uh, obviously staying faithful to the gospel, staying faithful um, and directing um, people that are going to be released into ministry during a very hostile time. So when he as he's thinking about this and formulating all this and thinking about uh, his distinct context um, where he's at with these seminarians, but also thinking about the mission of the church during this hostile time. What are some of the ideas that he's really putting forth in this book? And um, what are some of the, and the bigger question we'll, we'll get to is what are the, how do those ideas begin to uh, inform us today, um, many years later in a very different context with different issues? Um, so that's just kind of a, a big question that I'm going to throw to you and you can kind of yeah. just jump in wherever you want to. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, um, yeah, there are lots of, of different themes that emerge through life together. Um, I think one of the one of the most important ones um, that is in the, the first chapter of the book, the first chapter of the book is on community, where he's really spelling out his vision of what it means to be in Christian community. And I think one of the, the biggest themes is it's probably a pretty obvious theme, but I don't know that we think about it a whole lot. And that is that the church is not a human institution. It's a divine institution. The church exists because God has called it to exist. The church exists because of the grace of God. So we can study the church from, from human perspectives, from sociological perspectives, this is what he's doing in that in that first dissertation of his Sanctorum Communio is he's thinking about the church from a sociological perspective. But then in that work, he comes to the conclusion that you you can learn things about the church from a sociological perspective, but you can't understand the church unless you're coming to it from a theological perspective. So the church is different from any other community grouping. It's different from a local country club. It's different from, uh, you know, an affinity group that gets together because we like, uh, we, you know, have a shared passion for baseball or whatever it, it might be. The church is the one community on earth that exists only because God enables it to exist and God calls it to exist. And so uh, at the at the very be beginning of the book, he's talking about what does it look like for us to have life together? Which obviously is where the title comes from. But then the, the next phrase is life together under the word. 
right? That this is a life that we live in common under the word of God because of the word of God. And here the word that he's referring to is, is not the, the book of the Bible by itself. He's referring to Jesus as the word of God. So he's going to stress constantly throughout the book, but particularly as he's laying the 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 groundwork at the beginning that we are dealing here with a community that is God's community and therefore it is out of our control it is not ours to control it is not ours to create it is not ours to envision and then make actual what we do when we step into the church is we step into that which the word of God is accomplishing and, and that then calls us to change our stance toward this community. It's not, it's not mine. It's not ours. It's not, it's not our invention. Um, what we are doing is simply coming to recognize what God is at work to do in this place and align ourselves with that. And, and and Bonhoeffer is a German, he's a Lutheran German theologian. So you you get a lot of German Lutheran kind of themes in here about justification. The church is the justified community. We stand under that justifying word of God. Talks about sacraments. Um, you know, the sacraments are the signs of God's presence with us through our remembrance of Jesus. Um, so he has a very kind of deep theological vision of the church that 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 I think uh is is really helpful for us today to think more deeply about the nature of the church. So that's that's one theme and then yeah if we can if we yeah, can drill ahead. if we can drill down in there a little bit yeah. you know you know he talks about um in that first first chapter about you know he says something like Christian community means community in through Jesus Christ, like yeah. you said, like mm. under the word, in the word, through the word. And it makes it a different kind of community than any other kind of community. And I think obviously that's very different than some of the ways we we often think about the church, right? Like we're coming together to do something, right? right. Like we're almost hosting Jesus's presence by being together rather right. than in fact, Jesus is hosting us and yes. Jesus is up to something and entering in. Um, can you talk a little bit more about, about that and just how different that is than some of the typical ways we think about coming to church? Yeah, I think that's a really helpful insight. Um, I, I do think that that our tendency, and probably theologically, we don't really believe this. Like, I think theologically, most of us, even if we've thought about it, if we've given some thought, we, we recognize that, that the church is uh, an act of of god but i don't know that that really deeply shapes our vision of what happens in our life with the church so we do then tend to think okay the, the church is shaped around actions it's shaped around the action of gathering on a sunday morning it's shaped around the action of gathering on on wednesday night it's shaped around the action of the youth group it's shaped around the action of weddings and funerals. Like, like all of these events are the life of the church rather than understanding, no, the, the church is actually shaped around the being of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit. And all of the actions arise out of 
that. So this is the, the reversal that you were just talking about, where we can tend to think of it as our actions are what make the church reality. Um, but what, what Bonhoeffer wants us to really see is, no, it's the action of God. It's the work of God that 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 is in the being of the resurrected Jesus who is present with us. That is what makes the church the church. We're called the body of Christ. We participate in the body of Christ, in his presence, in his reality. And so I, I think if if that became really much more lodged in our hearts and minds, that starts to, to really reshape what we think we're doing as the church and, and, and who we think we are as the church. And so this this idea that he has in, in the book about there are no unmediated relationships within the church. Jesus stands between us because we we exist in him. And so my relationship to you, standing between you and me, is always Jesus Christ. And if that's the case, that has to then change how I see you and how you see me. I see you through the mediated relationship of Jesus. I see you through the work of Christ that has done the work of, of salvation in your life. And I, I do like you, Andrew. So this is not a an, an example. But if I oh, didn't, good. Like I was per, I was feeling personally attacked. So <laughs> okay, okay. thank you, thank you for that qualification. I yes. want to make clear here: <laughs> if I didn't like you and you were in my church, my analysis of you can't be first. Ah, that Andrew. I don't. I don't really much care for him. That analysis has to be: I see Andrew through Jesus, and Andrew belongs to Jesus, and I belong to Jesus. Therefore. My subjective feeling about Andrew, it may still be there, but that's not what defines us. That's not what defines our relationship with each other. What defines our relationship with each other is that we are both first those who belong to Jesus and out of that belong to each other. So I think it it has a power. This vision has a power to it to take us out of what our kind of common vision of what we can see and maybe the way that we analyze our church or analyze the people of our church. And if we had an, a, an imaginative vision, right? A vision in our minds that we walk into church and what we see there is Jesus present among us, then that has to shape the way that we understand our fellowship. And it has to shape the way that we communicate with each other and serve each other and and seek to to love each other. So he he talks about in here about be very careful particularly about church leaders who don't view their relationship with you as mediated through Jesus because what unmediated relationships do is they become about power. Who has yes. power over me? Who That's do right. I have power over? But when we put Jesus in the center of that, that goes away. And now it's about, I've got to love my brother. I've got to love my sister. Do I like them? Not all of them, not all the time, but this is my community. This is my fellowship of those who belong to Jesus. And I don't get to opt in and out of that. I don't get to choose who's in there. I don't get to line up the ones that are like me and that I, you know, like we like the same football team. And so we're going to be the church together. Whoever God brings together that's our community. 
Yeah. This is what Jesus did with the disciples, right? He didn't just get, all right, I'm going to find 12 guys who basically already agree with me. They get who I am. They agree basically with each other. And we're going to come together so that we can do this mission thing. He had a very wide range of people with very different visions of what the world was about and what God was about. And he brought them together and he discipled them around himself. And they learned that their relationships with each other had to be mediated through the work of, of Christ. So yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's a very profound insight that, that gives us a much deeper vision of the church. It is. And there's so many thoughts going through my head, just of the ways in which we have uh, not believed this at all. Like maybe not even just explicitly, but implicitly, even the language you use of, you know, Hey, let's go and build the kingdom together. Right. Yeah. As if we are the makers of the kingdom <laughs> rather than we are just, we're simply just partaking in it or, you know, the ways that our relationships and conflict happen in the church. Um, the way we don't, I mean, I think, you know, probably the only ones that would understand that concept of Jesus be, be between us and someone else and maybe the youth group because maybe they've heard that about hey six, leave six inches for jesus or whatever it is <laughs> but, but everybody else how how would that how would that mediation um be different right between yeah. us and others you know i also think about um that whole thing of what you just ended with with us kind of choosing um a community rather than God being the one that is bringing people together. Yeah. I think this is particularly hard for us because church shopping, for instance, you think, you know, that's the consumeristic kind of language that we attach to finding a church. Yeah. It reveals something about us and to us about even the ways in which we think that we're in control. Right. Or we even choose a community, you know, like I think it's not hard to look around and see that choice or especially for us Americans, is a God, is our God, right? Yeah. Choosing who we are, choosing what we do. And so obviously this is a very profound, but it's also very scandalizing to us. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about those kinds of things? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think um, I think this is, I, I don't think it's an only American problem, but I certainly think we need to identify here that this is particularly difficult in an American context, where, as you say, kind of freedom and choice and, and individualism has so deeply shaped our culture as well as our church cultures. And so I think we can really be in a dangerous position when our vision of the church is what does it do for me? Right. How is it going to serve me? How is it going to serve my family? I think I, I don't think what Bonhoeffer is saying here takes out discernment yeah. of, a, of, of a Christian community. Is this a community that preaches the gospel? Is this a community that that holds to the apostolic witness that holds to the faith? I think we need to do those kinds of discerning things. But my view is most people when they are quote unquote church shopping they they may have some of that stuff in mind but really what they're looking for is what are the goods and services that the church provides and and is that the good and service that that I that I want slash desire for my own self right um 
And so, again, I, I, I want to be clear. I don't think this just means pitch up to any old church and then you have to be there for the rest of Of course, life, absolutely. Right? absolutely. There's discernment. There are reasons to leave church fellowships and go to other church fellowships. Yes, yes. So, um, but maybe those reasons are far fewer than what we have made them to be. And if we are in a position where we can have this vision of, I'm going to go to this place and uh, Jesus is present and God is doing something there. And I don't necessarily have the market on what that is. And it, and it may not be what I think should be happening there or what God should be doing there. Um, can I still see myself as I belong to this congregation in a way that that unites me and I can be here to serve others and serve and learn what God is doing rather than to bring my own my own perspectives and my own desires as the the primary lens through which I'm discerning if this is the the congregation that I should be in. So this gets us to a theme that I think is really important. Bonhoeffer talks about the church is a real community, not an ideal community. And what he means by that is, and he talks about how a lot of times what happens is we bring our dream of what the church ought to be, right? Or we, we bring our ideal of what the church ought to be. And we then analyze the church. We judge the church based on our particular ideal. And that might be kids ministry, that might be youth ministry, that might be particular programs, that might be how quote unquote good is the preacher, right? There's lots of different things that we can use. And we're analyzing that based on, right, this is my vision of what the church ought to be. Now I've got that vision in front of me. I'm going to go into this church and I'm going to analyze whether or not it meets up with my ideal whether or not it meets, up, it meets up with my vision. And Bonhoeffer talks in there, he, he has a line, I'll just, I'll just read one of the lines from the book where he says, those who love their dream of a Christian community more than the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community. Even though their personal intentions uh, may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial, right? In other words, he's not talking here just about charlatans who are coming in to try to destroy the church for personal gain. We can have good, honest, sacrificial, earnest desires, but if it's our ideal that's leading us, if it's our dream of what the church ought to be, then what happens oftentimes is we can't actually see what God is doing in the reality of this church that God might be at work in this congregation in ways that look pretty messy and pretty ugly and not lining up with our, our dream of the church. And yet if we can't get past our dream, we may not ever get to the reality of what God is doing. So I think this push from Bonhoeffer of how our, our idealism can be a real danger to the church I think is really powerful in our time, in our culture, in our context that, that does have, we do have lots of options 
right? I mean, I could go to your church. I, I would imagine I've, I've not been to your area, but I can imagine that there's probably a church not too far from yours Yes, that I could go to, right? And I, and, and if I'm coming with my dream and I'm looking for my dream, it's not going to matter where I go. That's going to be blocking me from what actually is God at work doing here. Yes. And I think this is a temptation for not just people who are attending church, but people who are leading churches, such as myself, yes. that when you come into a church, um, pastoring a church, even, you know, we not, not only do attenders think, oh, this is how a church should be. Pastors are the, probably the worst at that, speaking yes. personally. Yeah. And, um, and I'm not, you know, saying that somehow, um, I mean, you know, we're tasked with helping and discerning. There's that discerning process on both ends of, you know, God, what are you doing? And, and perhaps what changes might you want to make to lead us into to more of what you're doing? But sometimes it can be easy. It can be very difficult to discern whether this is selfish ambition. This is our, you know, wishful thinking as our wishful dreaming, I think he says. Yeah. Um, uh, or if it's if it's truly what God is up to. And I think that that all of us as people have a difficult time with this. And what I, what I found refreshing is about how, because I began to think even internally, like, oh man, how, how many times have I done that? Uh, both as a, both as a worshiper or also as a pastor. And Bonhoeffer says that God will not permit us to live in a dream world and he'll intentionally frustrate those ideal visions of community. Yes. And oftentimes we'll think, oh, God, where are you in the midst of, why aren't you allowed? But he's actually the, potentially the one that's actually blocking those things from coming to fruition. Yeah, he, he talks about the grace of great disillusionment. Yes, right? yes. That, that God, God gives us the grace of being disillusioned. In that word, right, disillusion, right, that, that's what a dream is. A dream is an, it's an illusion. It's something that doesn't really exist. It's something that we think ought to exist. And so we go in and we we want to make that thing happen. Our dream, our illusion, we want to make happen in reality. And God, in his grace, frustrates that. And I think you are absolutely right. My experience as a pastor of those, you know, kind of deep, soulful frustrations of what's going on in the congregation or why isn't it doing going the way that I think it ought to be going when I was pastoring and, and had Bonhoeffer and, you know, firmly in the back of my mind and a lot of times in the front of my mind, I just, I really, it, it forced me to really wrestle with God of what is a godly discontent here yeah. and what is my need for great disillusionment where, yeah. where I actually have put my vision or my sense of what ought to be happening in this congregation before my pursuit of God, what are you actually doing here with this people that's what i'm here to shepherd not my not my dream and and i think this has implications for how we think about vision right what is pastoral vision what does that mean we've we've kind of bought into i think a corporate vision kind of a steve jobs vision a vision where you know the guy comes out and he does the inspiring talk and the turtleneck and everyone is impressed by the vision and we're going to go here. And I do think there is a godly sense of, of vision, but I worry how much we put that on. Okay, pastor, you're coming here in order to bring a fresh vision. It gets pretty dangerous 
pretty fast. And unfortunately, we've, we've seen that over and over again. So I just, you know, all that to underscore and agree with what you have said about how pastors, this I think really has to be something we reflect deeply upon. One other thing that Bonhoeffer talks about is, you know, he says that pastors should never complain about their congregation. Um, and I don't know that I agree with that 100%. Like, I think there's times where as pastors, we have to process through our own frustrations. And I know you probably, you have, not everyone listening to this is, is our pastors, um, but something just for an insight into the pastoral life. We do get frustrated, right? We do get. Oh, you do? Frustrated. I, I, I've i never I, experienced I know you that love, before. You love all your people. Yeah, perfectly. perfectly. Get, yeah. You get frustrated with anybody, <laughs> No, no, right? you're but exactly me, right. a sinner. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, I think this don't complain about your people. Well, again, I would push back a little bit and say, I think there's a healthy way just to process through. But what's he getting at there? What he's getting at there is a lot of times those complaints are rooted in this illusion. Yeah. It's, we're not accepting people as they are in reality in front of us and what yeah. God's doing in them. We want them to be different. Mm -hmm. We want them to be better. or We want them to be growing more quickly because you know, then that would mean that the church is doing what we think it ought to be doing. So I think what he's really pushing against is the complaining that really is rooted in this. I've got my vision and these people are getting in the way of my vision. And what he's saying, actually, no, your vision is getting in the way of reality. Yes. Your vision is getting in the way of what God's doing here. And you're to align yourself with that and then shepherd it. Yes. And, and follow the Lord, follow the spirit and what what the, the spirit is doing here, not what you think the spirit ought to be doing here. Yeah. And I think that is um, I think that's a great temptation for for leaders in the church and for um, lay people in the church, because uh, both because it's we're we're dehumanizing the other, right? Yes. So we're, we're dehumanized as pastors. We can dehumanize people and just these them as a means to an end. Yeah. Um, or the, the, they, um, the lay person thinks that the pastor is a, as a means to my, to, to my religious goods, to my needs and purposes. And that's exactly why I think that Bonhoeffer seems to drill down on the fact that um, this, 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 this Christ centered, uh, way of viewing the church and community, um, right? He he says at towards the end of the chapter that that Jesus Christ alone is our unity, yes. and so it's not as if we're rallying around like you said earlier, um, you know, particular religious actions, or we're not rallying around like a grand vision of what we can do, like which I do think is I do think is 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 important in a sense of having purpose and saying hey. Imagine if God is up to this, let's all chase this, right? Yes. But rather than it being about some, you know, the genius coming out and saying, this is where we, I've heard from God, I've been Moses on the mountain, this is where we're going. It's more like discerning, this is what God's up to, let's go with at it together. Um, and he's our unity, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that that doing that together and, and, and also, again, just kind of a realization that the spirit of God might be doing different things in my church than the spirit of God is doing at the church across town yeah. or at the church that presented at a conference, their kind of program for how they're doing what they're doing. And now we think, Oh, well, we should adopt that because that's, that's working well for them. And I, I think what 
is really being called for here is a a congregational communal discernment of what is God doing here? Can we learn from other churches? Absolutely. Yeah. But because something's happening down the street doesn't mean that's what needs to happen here. And I mean, just saying it like, you know, bluntly, usually what's happening down the street is they're growing. So how do we grow? Well, let's do what they're doing. Or why do we go to a conference? Yeah. They're going to tell us steps to success. So let's adopt those and let's implement those here and done all that without any kind of a real deep discernment of what is God actually doing? Yeah. Yeah. What, what is it that, that he wants to do in this congregation at this time? Not what is he doing over there or what did he do with us 20 years ago or 40 years ago or 60 years ago? What is he doing now? And, and I think that, you know, what you're talking about the dehumanizing of relationships. I think that's, that's right. This is where the Christ as the mediator comes in. Yeah. Because when Christ is the mediator, we can't dehumanize each other. We can't turn our relationships into transactions of yeah. an exchange of goods and services. Now, if we, if really we're embedded in this vision that Jesus is the Lord of this church and he is present among us. Now we don't use each other for particular ends. Now we are truly understanding we're a community at at our essence. We're not individuals who are transacting with one another to achieve certain things that that you might want or that I might want. No, in fact, we are an essential community in Jesus. And, And that has to change how we view each other. That has to change how we understand what we're about as the church. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, I, I do think uh, I think Bonhoeffer is incredibly helpful here um, because, you know, today um, and I'm speaking, you know, as a pastor, but I'm, I know this is the case for um, for people who are who are in the church, but not necessarily leading in the church, just uh, participating in the church's worship is that it's not as if we're only looking to the church down the street. We're looking uh, at the church across the world. Yeah, I think that the the comparison and the temptation to to get away from the the ways in which God is working here is so much more difficult. Now, like you said, there there is an opportunity here because some ways that that people can get stuck. Um, we can learn from each other in great ways. I mean, the fact that you and I can even have this conversation today um, is an amazing thing. And so it's not as if, you know, that all that is bad. But I think if we're looking at the dark side of it yeah, um, and then temptation, um, it's very difficult for, again, um, us to not bring those, those again, those, um, to, con- to try to bring unrealistic expectations into our churches and in ways that really are harmful to the community, harmful to our faithfulness to, to Jesus, sensitivity to the spirit working um, intimately with a group of people and all those things. Yeah. And, and I, I would, I would add uh, to that as well um, metrics of success, right. That we can, yeah. we can bring in both as, as pastors and as congregants, you know, kind of an assumption of, if we're 
if we're doing what we ought to be doing, then the results are going to be whatever the metric might be that, that yeah. we have in mind. And I think we just always need to be bringing our metrics of success before the Lord yeah, and, and offering those to him. We follow a crucified Christ. Uh, we are called to bear the cross. That is a metric of success. You know, Paul talks about this in first Corinthians one, the foolishness of the cross. It doesn't make sense to, to the Greeks. It doesn't make sense to the Jews, what they're looking for, as a metric of success, the cross doesn't fit. Yeah. It also doesn't really particularly fit in modern America as a metric of success. But but that is the call that we have on our lives is to be cross bearers. And, and so, you know, this would get us over in, into the parallel into Bonhoeffer's book, Cost of Discipleship. But he talks a lot about, about this in that book on being the community of the cross. He talks about um, right, that we are together, we are bearers of the cross. And when we recognize what that means, it 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 may mean that God is doing something that looks like failure to us, but in fact is is his work. Now that that's not all the time. That doesn't mean just, you know, if a church is cratering and 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 people are fleeing, that that's a, a work of God. <laughs> But yeah, yeah. <laughs> it also doesn't mean if a church isn't growing, you know, tenfold per year, that that God's not there. Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. So I, I think putting the cross in the center of this discernment process is is a, a vitally important part of this discernment and reimagination as a community about what it means to be the people of God. Yeah, that's really good, Joel. Um, let me ask you one more thing that I think is really relevant uh, is this whole distinction between what he calls emotional love mm-hmm. and spiritual love. Yeah. And of course um, Bonhoeffer is not, doesn't mean that somehow emotional love or any kind of love that's not quote unquote spiritual is bad. It's right. just that oftentimes we're confused about how to actually love in the church. And um, of course, you know, any church community um, to really love people, it's going to be, as he says uh, elsewhere in here, it's going to be costly. Yeah. And it's going to be difficult. And even peace, you know, we think about peace as like the absence of conflict. When in fact, Jesus shows us that sometimes uh, peace requires conflict. Mm-hmm. Uh, peace, true peace is actually sometimes uh, calling things out that are, that you don't want to deal with. And so can you talk a little bit about, um, what it can mean for us as as Christians to actually love with true spiritual love. Yeah, yeah. So one of the other one of the things he talks about here is that Christian community is a spiritual, not a psychic reality. Is the way that it's translated that yeah. that word. You know, when we say psychic here, we're not talking about tarot cards or crystal balls, <laughs> right? We're talking about suke, the human spirit or the human soul, right? So. So he's saying that that Christian community is a spiritual reality, and and it's important here to say that 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 s when we talk about spiritual reality, we're not again we're not talking about the human spirit, we're talking about the capital S Holy Spirit. That the church is not a function of my spirit or your spirit. The church's reality is not dependent upon my psychic self or your psychic self, 
the church can't be generated out of human initiative, out of human capacity, even if that capacity is a human love. That can't sustain the church. That that could sustain a a country club, you know, for a while. People, we love golf. So we join a country club and now we're going to hang out together and we're going to golf together. That kind of psychic love can sustain psychic communities, human communities, can't sustain a divine community. So, so even if, I think this gets back to that earlier quote that we talked about of the dream of the Christian community, even if we be ever so earnest, ever so zealous about our desire for the church, if it is being initiated from within the human, and, and even human love is the factor that's initiating, that cannot be the basis of the church. That can't sustain a divine work of the church. Only the Holy Spirit, the capital S Spirit, can do this. Then when our spirits become caught up in the capital S Spirit, we can become vessels of the love of God, genuinely the love of God. That is what can su sustain the church, but that's a miracle. Yeah, right? The church is a miracle. The church is a miracle. It's a work of God. When it's a human action, then we see the kinds of destructive things that, that happen with that. So I think what, what Bonhoeffer, again, is asking us to do is, is really reflect on how much we are depending upon ourselves as pastors, as congregants, as a church. How much are we really, we might say theologically, we depend on the Lord and, and this is his church. But that's fine to say that, but what's actually happening in your midst? What's actually happening in your heart? And I think this for me was part of the the real struggles of, of pastoring or the real challenge and burden of pastoring was just how much, if I was honest with myself, I was depending upon my own psychic soul abilities to make this thing happen. Yeah. And that gets really exhausting uh, and churches get really exhausted and as exhaustion happens division happens separation my vision versus your vision starts to come into conflict and in the kinds of divisions that we see that happen in the church i think happen primarily because we've confused human love with divine love or human ability with divine action and uh no matter how well intended that human ability will run out at yeah. some point in time. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, there's something to be said about, you know, we, we know the the limits of our love, right? Um, we do. It's, it's not the kind of love that can make an enemy a brother or a sister. That is, no. that is the love of Jesus Christ in us. No. And that's the love we're actually called into into yes. an act with one another. Yeah. Uh, but like you said, that is a miraculous kind of love. And eventually it seems as if any Christian community has to get to the point if they are operating in that kind of love that, like you said, it just, we, we it falls in on itself or we, we come to the end of it and realize this isn't working. There has to be some other kind of way that this this thing holds together yeah 
And I, and I think that's one of the the things that Bonhoeffer is calling us to begin to discern. Yeah. And again, I, I, I'm thinking of first Corinthians again, where, you know, the early chapters, you know, people in the church are saying, I am of Paul or I am of Apollos or I am of Jesus. Right. And, and, and Paul is just saying, you can't, you can't act as if this is dependent upon a person that you are aligning yourself with. And then you follow through what's going on in Corinthians and all of the damage that's there, all of the division that's there. It's, it's rooted in this human centeredness of the church. And I, I think that really is what this, the first chapter in life together really pushing us is to recognize kind of where we, where we began the conversation the church is God's church. It exists because of him. And uh, when we try to insert ourselves into that, then bad things happen. Inevitably, bad things happen. Yeah. Well, that seems like a good place to end, Joel. And uh, thank you so much for being on this. I'm really looking forward to um, more of these. I think there's this is a very small book. Yeah, but it's it, there's so much to explore, so much yeah, it, to explore. It can fool people when I when I assign it for some of my theology classes, they they pick it up and think, oh, this is a nice thin book. And then they get in. <laughs> and it's, it's pretty thick. It's pretty thick, but yes. well worth the time uh, and investment. And I think, you know, hopefully this these conversations might pique some people's interest and they can with a little bit of framework that we've given dig into it with some profit. Absolutely. I uh, just a final word about my love for this book. I I read this my freshman year of college, mm. and um, I've probably read it five or six times uh, at different points in my life. Coming back to it, so yes, I, I'm hoping that this will uh, not just provide some some things for people to chew on, for some th- things people to even reflect on, but uh, perhaps you would want to pick this book up for yourself and even go along with us in the journey. But Joel, thank you for for going on this journey with me. Really appreciate your yeah. time, man. Yeah, no, great. Really enjoyed the conversation. This is fun. Thanks.